I'm at that cusp where the business is no longer, it was a startup, it's now what I call a fledgling. I have no idea if that's a technical term, but it's one I use. So I really want to understand the next growth stage and I really want to understand what kind of barriers, challenges, frustrations I'm going to face. The, the entrepreneurs running the businesses think that they can do everything on their own. They get to a point where they kind of hit a brick wall like, wait, I really need people to help me out. And I don't even know how to ask for the help that I need. So that's, that's probably the challenge that I see. For We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series, where industry professionals share their secrets to success. I'm Serpil Chenelmish from Written and Recorded. Are you in one of those new businesses with a handful of clients? You're quite happily plodding along, thinking you're onto a good thing. But good is the enemy of best, and you may well be missing the opportunity to scale up. At some point, you'll need to take off your startup training wheels and get on your bike. But how do you know that you're ready to push on? Luke Hampshire is founder of Fly Airly, a company that redefines the private jet experience. It's basically like the Uber of private aviation, allowing people like you and I to travel like rock stars. And this little startup is taking off. It's quite funny. Um, we had a broker reach out to us who's based in Italy one night and, oh, I can't seem to add euros or I can't find any Italian airports. and. You know, global mindset from day one, private jets are everywhere, but we weren't quite ready to go global. But when we received this email, I got coding that night and responded to the broker saying, oh, press refresh, try again, it should all be working fine. So kind of overnight, we went global. Since 2015, Luke has grown Fly Airly beyond Australia to the UK, and soon he'll be setting up shop in Southeast Asia. This is the story of a startup that has gone far beyond its goals. And a warning if you have sensitive ears, Luke tends to use a little bit of colourful language. So let's disarm doors and cross-check. Thank you, thank you. All right, formalities. Let's get the real formal stuff out of the way. I am 202 centimetres in height. I used to play basketball. I do have to duck under doors. The weather's just as good up here as it is down there. And my language can get colourful, so if you get offended, I am really sorry, but I get a bit passionate sometimes, so uh, the words may fly. I don't have that really inspiring story as a kid. I just grew up in a normal family, always had a side hustle. Taught myself PHP when I was a teenager, did websites on the side, and since the age of 13, I've been in aviation. Anything you could think of, I've got a pilot's licence, worked in the airlines, Polished private jets, air traffic control, air force, the works. And a bit of a different founder position, I guess, or we're starting to see more of it. Married with a mortgage with kids, which makes founder life very interesting, I guess, compared to being that 18-year-old kid with no responsibilities. We incorporated in 2015. The concept, we've been at it for about three, four years. Ultimately, democratisation of private aviation. Getting as many people as possible onto private jets because it's far more efficient, the service is way better and it is yeah, pretty cool. So we started initially at city to city shuttles, Melbourne, Sydney being number two for the busiest routes in the world. Really worked hard at that for about two years and then we made a pivot last year in June 2017 looking at empty capacity, jet sharing, event-centric kind of deals and it seems to be working because we have revenue on stuff now. So we've listed over three and a half million dollars in private jet savings, um, which I think is really cool and something that we've only started tracking. They do come from empty legs, so what that is, is if someone hires a private jet one way, they still pay full price, 
Jet flies home empty. We capitalize on that, get our members on it for like 10% of the actual cost. So it's pretty cool. Supply in Australia is quite sparse just because it's an infant industry. But in the UK, I mean, London, Paris for a thousand pounds for a whole jet isn't uncommon at all. Launched in June 2017, we have close to 3,000 users on board now, a footprint in Australia and London slash Europe. And this year, we've signed up our first Singapore-based operator, but we're starting to make that press into Southeast Asia. We see that market much like Australia, but with greater net worth, something very important that we're chasing there. I guess, I hope it doesn't go against the theme of the night, but when is your startup no longer a startup? In my mind, startup is purely a mindset. In my mind, I don't think it is a time frame. I don't think it's a revenue figure. I think it's how you're applying yourselves as a founder to your company. I guess the easiest way to say it is trying to find exponential ways to grow, create the repeatable processes and maintain that mindset whether you're worth a dollar or a billion dollars. In my mind, if you drop that startup mindset, you open yourself to disruption. You become slower moving, obviously a lot more admin going on. So at Airly, we will be trying to maintain that startup mindset from day one right into the future, no matter how big we are. Definitely hasn't been easy and no startup journey has. So the first two years, like I said, city to city shuttles um, between Melbourne and Sydney on private jets sounded great. Everyone thought it was great, but couldn't raise enough funds to really dig our teeth into it, I guess. Alexander and I, who I should have mentioned, is a co-founder. We belted our heads against the brick wall, trying to make it work. So just on a random night, I started this PHP coding again, created the new platform and I'll talk about it as part of a founder mindset as well, but the minute we stopped giving a fuck what everyone else thought, bar our customers, shit started to actually happen. For that first two years, we were probably so focused on what everyone else thought that didn't matter, that that was starting to steer the direction we were heading and we wasted two good years on that. Going global, <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, we had a broker reach out to us who's based in Italy one night and oh, I can't seem to add euros or I can't find any Italian airports and we sort of always knew that you know global mindset from day one private jets are everywhere but we weren't quite ready to go global but when we received this email I got coding that night and sort of responded to the broker saying oh press refresh try again it should all be working fine so kind of overnight we went global but you know if you're going global based off user demand I saw it as a good thing and that's why we grabbed the opportunity and now we've got operators listing in the UK we've got members in the UK and this year as well we're looking to push even harder so no matter what your startup is you can make a very successful company or startup in Australia without having to worry about the global markets there's some things here you can do really well but if your product can be taken everywhere Australia is such a speck of dust in the global scheme of things you look at US private aviation is so accepted and common, Europe as well. So for us, global has to be a mindset. So in Australia, we want to build up what I call there is a bittersweet market because one of the richest countries per capita, but the education is so low and everyone thinks they'll be a wanker if they fly private. They're not looking into the real benefits of it. So we've got a lot of work to educate people. Whereas in other markets, we can move into quite rapidly and start making revenue from it. The cool thing is, and I don't want to pitch the company, I'm here to talk about our experience and try and get you guys involved too, but for business class fares, you can fly private per person, if not a little bit less. So Melbourne, Sydney's upwards of 1,400 each way. About 800 each way will get you a 14-seat private jet if you had 14 people. All right, 
from a founder's perspective, uh, the four steps to fucking up in my eyes, we're going to read about the mistakes that previous founders made and go, hmm, yeah, I'm not going to make that mistake. Recognise that it's about to happen to you and you go, oh shit, no, it can't happen to me. You make the mistake and now you sit here and preach to others about how not to make that mistake. So I think the latest stat is 25% of startups fail within their first year or two and as you progress year on year, your chances of survivability are far greater. For us, we had that, I guess you'd call it a false start for those first couple of years, but like I said before, we started to listen to the right people, we started to listen to what they wanted, and all of a sudden we had these early adopters that were happy to tell all their friends about it, get all their friends involved in it as well, and be massive advocates into the media as well. So as far as startup survivability is concerned, if you can find yourself happy adopters, it's as good as life support. And I call life support as in significant funding, a multitude of things that you can do to sort of provide your company with life support. But if you have very happy customers that you're not paying to talk about you, giddy up. So the cool thing for us is we started, you know, early days we had our, I guess, the adopters that were following us throughout the journey sign up, which was great. It's like, hey, thanks for hanging in. Geez, you've been patient. But then we started getting the celebrities, the athletes, the people you'd Google and go, oh shit, they'd signed up. So we were starting to get those kind of people signing up off no marketing, no hassling, no freebies. So I think if you can find yourself the early adopters, don't be scared to talk to them because I have been. It's like, oh, they're too busy. And one in particular, he's the CEO of a very, very big company globally. And I felt very nervous speaking to him. You, you reach out and he's on the phone, like within five minutes saying, hey, how can I help? I can line you up with this person, help you with this. So do not be afraid to reach out to your early customers because not only are they going to help if they like you, if they don't like you, they're going to tell you why. And I like that people aren't afraid to tell you why because that's the only way you really find out. Personal traits that helped me going from concept to execution. This is a huge one and I had a massive rock on my back for probably the first two years. Alexander did too. We had a lot of self-doubt because the naysayers are far more vocal than anyone else out there. So we were worried about what the naysayers would say, worried about what public perception would be, yet we've got people in our ears saying, hey, if you could do the empty leg stuff and share jets, and how cool would that be? And we just sort of let it go over our heads. But the minute we stopped giving a fuck and listened to those who deserve to be heard, shit started to happen, revenue started to come in and start to exponentially grow as well. So. For someone like me, who seems extroverted, I do have a lot of, I guess, yeah, a lot of self-doubt. Getting rid of that rock, and credit to Jack D for that, but getting rid of that can really help you as a founder. Look after you. Thankfully, mental health is something that's starting to really get recognised and talked about in startup sphere and general business sphere as well. Without you, your business is ultimately doomed. If you don't look after yourself from a mental perspective and a health perspective, you're not going to perform at your best. That's for a founder that has no liabilities. So no kids, no mortgage, no marriage, they can do whatever the fuck they want. And add on to that all the other pressures that a founder experiences, it gets tough. It's okay that it's tough and it's okay to seek help and talk about it. My background as well as aviation is a firefighter as well and mental health is very, very important to us. So I think it's handy that I've been able to take the skills from the whole psychology, the whole mental health side of things and apply it into the startup sphere as well. Don't look at other founders and go, oh, geez, they seem to be doing it so easy because I guarantee you they are not. Media will always talk about the great stuff and the inevitable fail too. They love covering that, which is their job. 
but you'll never see all the shit in between behind closed doors that every founder has gone through. And if a founder hasn't experienced that yet, please let me know. Give me the secret sauce because maintaining equilibrium. All right, so things were starting to go well and our revenue was sort of a couple grand a month, jumped up to 30 grand a month, jumped up to 75 grand a month, jumped up to 120K. I was, I'm normally a pretty level person and some people call me miserable, but I just call it level. Like I don't get too wound up or too miserable. But when you're sort of at it for so long, I couldn't help but ride the wave up and go, fuck, how good is this? We're finally getting there. And I guarantee you shit will hit the fan. The carpet will be thrown out from underneath you. So for us, we were about to have a record breaking revenue. So doubled the previous month. Everything was looking absolutely sweet. A couple of cancellations, change of plans, just threw the carpet from under our feet and we fell hard on our ass. And for me, who was riding that wave so high, I inevitably followed that roller coaster down and crashed. And probably, yeah, a couple of weeks where I was, you don't talk to me. Uh, I just, I, I rode that too, I, I rode it too hard. So if there's any advice I can give you guys on maintaining equilibrium is just try to maintain centered. You're going to have wins and that's great, but shit is going to hit the fan. Things aren't going to go right. You're going to go, What's the point? Like, why don't I just go get a normal nine to five that pays well? Try and stay in the middle. As hard as it is to get caught up, please try and stay in the middle. Sometimes just enough is good enough. Now this sort of relates back to riding that roller coaster. For that period where we went from zero to practically 120K in revenue before the carpet got thrown out from underneath us, it was never good enough as a founder. Alexander probably quietly took a step back and appreciated it because he's very smart, unlike myself. I never thought where we were at was good enough. You're always looking at the big competitors that have been at it for so much longer, have so much more coverage, and no matter how well we were going, in my mind it was never good enough. I call that a healthy mindset, but I don't think it is, because now I look back and go, I wish I could have stepped back and taken it all in and gone, you know what? I remember at the airport at Essendon, I'd used to drive past, look at a private jet take off and go, huh, one day our members will be on that, and thought that was so far-fetched. Like, there's just no way that people will trust us in, in organising their trips. All of a sudden, we were doing it and doing lots of it, and I never took the time to step back and go, shit, I actually, yeah, we did do it. So no little pats on the back or anything. So sometimes just enough is, is okay. Take it in, appreciate it. It's good to have ambition. It's good to keep pressing and, and demanding more from yourselves as founders and your team, but sometimes it's okay just to say, you know what, shit, we did okay. <laughs> Wow, what a roller coaster ride Luke has been on, and it seems it's a common story for all founders. I particularly liked his advice that sometimes just enough is good enough. I know I'm often guilty of aiming for perfection. You'll hear more from Luke and meet his role models right after this. If you've got a curious mind and like the idea of learning something new, We Teach Me can help you choose your next activity. You can now get skills in floristry, photography or fashion. And there's so much more with the best workshops, classes and courses right across Australia. And they're super easy to locate. Find classes near you at weteachme.com. And every week, We Teach Me's Master Series podcast connects you with industry professionals to help your startup to take off. The Master Series podcast is brought to you by Written and Recorded. Journalists for Hire, Written and Recorded create shareable content that helps businesses tell their brand story. 
from blogs to podcasts, social media to feature articles. Written and recorded create content that amplifies your message. Find out how content can get you noticed at writtenandrecorded.com. And now, back to the podcast. Thanks, Ad Guy. Let's get back to Luke's story. Luke Hampshire created a world first with his business, Fly Airly. His company makes private aviation accessible to all of us, not just the rich and famous. What's been important to Luke has been role models, and he's about to tell us how he feeds off the experiences of other founders. What's been important to me as well as role models, and I guess before the startup journey, role models to me was just one person that was a total moonshot. I'd love to be him. For me, it's Mark Cuban. He's very much down the line like I am. He's obviously got a lot of money, so that's cool too. Um, He's got his own private jets or a couple of them. So yeah, always had that moonshot. But in the startup journey, for me, I bought in two extra role models and sort of, uh, I guess, reverse engineered, how do I get to Mark Cuban? Don't get me wrong, total moonshot, but you've got to have ambitions, right? So the way I tried to play it out was, Justin Dry, if you've ever met him, CEO of VinoMofo, absolutely top guy. He's, he's given me a lot of time and Alexander as well, a lot of time and advice. I placed him into my future role model. So still not easy to attain because he's worked his ass off for a long time, but a tad more attainable than Mark Cuban, right? So I tried to set someone that was maybe a little bit more realistic, still very challenging, but somewhat realistic. And then someone close proximity. So this is Jessica Rufus. She's the CEO of um, Collabosaurus. Top chick. She is so cool. But she is in a similar position to where I'm at. And I think it's really important to feed off other founders that are in a similar position to you. JD will still have memories from the worst times of VinoMofo and before VinoMofo, the quaff days. But for Jessica, we were going through similar problems and it's obviously very raw. You can help each other out and talk about it. So since I sort of set up this sort of close proximity, future and moonshot, I guess I was able to leverage better and gauge where I wanted to head as far as a role model was concerned or personal attributes too. So I almost didn't accept this because I thought I'm not JD, I'm not Justin Dry. You know, in my eyes, we're still so, so early, but again, yeah, okay, cool. We've made a product, we have customers, we have revenue, we're growing. So I think it's really important to speak up earlier because like I said, JD has been through it years ago versus more recent. So if you ever get the opportunity to speak up at events like this, have someone reach out for help, don't ever think you're underqualified. Like I'm happy to admit I thought I was underqualified for this. But I said, you know what, I've learned things that maybe I could pass on to someone else. And we go through the four steps again. So you can learn from it and then go do it again anyway, because it's way more fun. Like I said, with the media, you're always going to see the best of everything and the best of everyone. Never think that any founder has had a really easy ride through the journey. And as founders yourselves, it's up to you guys to talk to the next batch of people considering it, not scaring them away from it, but perhaps keeping their feet on the ground and keeping things realistic for them. Like it is not all glass. private jets. Everyone thinks you're driving a Ferrari and fly private all the time. It's so far from the truth. You know, we're the people on the ground trying to facilitate those people who have Ferraris and want to fly private. That, that's it from me. So yeah. Thanks, Luke. Now there's a man who's making a global mark. I particularly enjoyed his four steps to effing up. What a man. Now, friends, the training wheels are off. It's time to pedal hard on your own. 
Next week, a beginner's guide to cryptocurrency. I bet you know someone who's made a buck or two from this digital monetary exchange. Could be Bitcoin, Litecoin, Namecoin. But how do all these digital currencies work? And how will they shape the business transactions in the future? We'll have all the answers next time. Until then, I'm Sadhna Shenan Mish from Written and Recorded. And for We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series. Is everyone happy if I sit down? Obvious reasons. Yeah. Does it make you all feel better? I hope so.